Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Good. Awesome. Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at The Transit. And for the last three weeks, if you've been coming out, you know that we've been going through a three-week series on community, where we've been looking at the three reasons why we emphasize community groups leading up to uh, the fall cycle starting uh, September through November. So two weeks ago, just a quick recap of the series, we talked about how community is not primarily about us, it's about Jesus Christ. We looked at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and we looked at uh, the work that Christ did to break down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God and us and each other. He has made us one to dwell in unity, to grow in his likeness for his glory. So community is not about us, it's about Jesus Christ. And it's impossible, I would say, to grow in maturity as a disciple of Jesus Christ in isolation. We need our brothers and sisters to, to point us to Jesus Christ. And so that's why we emphasize community groups. The first reason for that is discipleship. Second reason we emphasize community groups is pastoral care. Um, we have a biblical mandate. We look at this in John 13 last week. We look at John 13 and Jesus Christ getting on his, his, his hands and his knees and watching, washing nasty feet and, and meeting the needs, taking the hit to meet the needs uh, of those he loved. And he gave us uh, this command in, in John 13. He said, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, the entire world will know that you are my disciples. And for us to live out that biblical mandate to be the church to one another, again, that's impossible to do in isolation. We, we have to be in community to, to love and to serve one another and meet each other's needs and bear one another's burdens. And so today what we're looking at is the, the third reason we emphasize community groups here at the transit, and that is the mission of God, the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples of, of all people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, to go and, and proclaim who God is and what he's done for us, to the lost, to those that don't know Jesus. Yeah, and uh, a couple years ago, I took a class on Islam in seminary, and my seminary professor said this line, this word, and it was so good, and my, my professor was just, he was just an, like, an evangelist through and through, and he said this, so, and, and, and he was just such the real, he was just, he was just so sincere in his love for Christ and his love for the law. So I actually called him up uh, a couple weeks ago. He had no idea who I was, but I emailed him and then we talked or whatever. And uh, just to hear, just to hear, you know, his take on, on, on mission and, and sharing your faith and why, why we hesitate to do that and, and everything. And, and if you want his, his contact info, I'll get it to you because it's worth the phone call. But he said this line, super convicting. And so I figured I'd convict you guys as well since I've been convicted by it. But he said this. He said, you are either a missionary or a mission field. Those are your two options. You're either a missionary or a mission field. You're either actively engaging the lost for Jesus Christ, and that means that you're a Christian, or you're not engaging the lost, which means that you're not a Christian. You're actually a mission field, and someone needs to go talk to you about Jesus and the hope they have for you in Christ. Those are your two options. Um, and so a couple years ago, I... Uh, I took up this, this hobby that maybe some of you here uh, have done, and it's called hunting. Anyone here hunt? Anyone a hunter? Okay, come talk to me uh, after the service. I need your help. Um, but uh, at, my, at my old church, there was this guy. I won't say his name, but he, uh, his license, I'll tell you his license plate. His license plate said deer killer. Give you a little idea of, of this guy. So this deer killer, uh, two years ago, decided to give me one of his bows and a bunch of arrows. And, and here's the deal, when, when Deer Killer gives you a bow and an arrow, you pick up the sport of hunting because you have to do justice to that bow. I mean, the, the amount of deer that were in the, the scope of that, that bow is just shocking to even think about. But anyways, so I took up this sport, and, uh, and basically I wanted to grow as a disciple of hunting. So what did I do? I found other hunters. And so we, we, we practiced our, our shots in the house. 
outside the house, uh, much to Jen's demise. But, uh, but anyway, so we, so we grew as that. We studied the sport, and then I, we, we were in community, so we actually met each other's hunting needs, me and my friends. So if I needed a rangefinder, they let me borrow it and, and, and all that stuff. And so we, could, we looked like hunters. We, we, we talked like hunters. At least I did. They actually hunted. But um, we would go hunting, and this was the extent. Over the past two years, I've probably been roughly about eight times. And hunting for me looks like this. So you wake up really, really early in the morning when no one should be awake. You go to the middle of nowhere, and you climb a tree, and you sit in the tree for way longer than you should ever sit in a tree. You see nothing, and you climb back down the tree. Seriously, that, that's the extent of my hunting experience. Every single time I've gone hunting, I haven't seen a living thing besides like a squirrel. Um, so, so basically, if you were to ask me, Nick, Nick, are you a hunter? Say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hunter, sure. I got a bow. I can climb trees. I'm a hunter. But if you were, if you were to clarify that and say, well, Nick, actually, have you ever hunted game? I said, no. Nick, have you ever, in a, in a tree stand, pulled back your bow and not hit anything, but just shot at something living? And I have to say, I've never done that. No. So you say, well, Nick, then, then that's, you're not really a hunter. And I think the reason I share this is I think for us in the church, we, we, we have this tendency to say, oh, I'm a mature disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a seasoned hunter because I know a whole lot about the Bible and Jesus. And I dwell in community with other people who do. But when it comes to the, the, the casting our net and being a missionary, we haven't really done that. Yeah, and so we have this idea that we can be a mature disciple of Jesus Christ, but not actually engage the lost and not actually share our faith. And I think that is uh, uh, kind of as crazy as saying, well, yeah, I'm a hunter, but I've never actually hunted. I look like a hunter. I talk like a hunter. I can climb trees and sit in them, but actually just uh, I've never actually fired the, or, or just cast the net of the gospel uh, uh, for the sake of Christ. And so today what we're looking at is... Uh, is Luke 5 and Jesus calling the disciples. And when he calls the disciples, he says, come and follow me. Come and get close to me. And here's the deal. When you get close to Jesus, when you come to know Jesus, you, you, you can't not be changed. Your life is forever transformed. The, the, the sin, the, the guilt, the shame, it's gone. He's giving you new life, abundant life in him. And so when that life transformation comes, uh, when you, as you follow Jesus, the natural outflow is that you're going to share that life transformation with other people. You're going to be a fisher of men. As you get closer and closer to Christ, the closer and closer you're going to get to the lost and want to share the joy you have in Jesus. That's why there's, there's a twofold aspect to, to, to Luke 5. Here. So Jesus says, come and follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Because that's the natural outworking of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, cast out of the bag, we want you to know Jesus. And why is that? Man, because he's our Lord and Savior. There's been no better thing that has happened to me and to the majority of people in this room than coming to know Jesus Christ and the life and the peace and the joy that he can give you. There's no, nothing better. And out of that, we simply want to share that joy, that life, that Jesus with you. And that's our hope. And so if you don't, I don't want you to hear me, uh, this message, say now everyone needs to go out and, and and share your faith. No, I want you to get close to Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple here, wherever you're at, the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more you're going to share your faith. Because the, the apostles in Acts, they were just witnesses. And what a witness is, uh, I forget where exactly in Acts, I think it was Acts 4, but they basically, the disciples say, hey, we can't stop talking about this Jesus because we can't unsee some things. We can't unhear some things. 
We are witnesses to what we have seen and heard. That is what a witness does. A witness just shares what they've seen and heard. And that's what Christians are called to do is say, this is, this is I've seen Jesus. I've seen the life change that he has brought me and my family. The, 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 the entire course of my life, the direction has completely changed. And I'm a witness to that. I just want to share that with you. I can't, I can't unsee that. I can't unsee the trajectory of my life, that change. And so that's our motive for, for mission. That is our motive. And we do that as a body. We do that as a people. And what we're going to see in Luke 5 as we dive into this is we think that being a fisher of men is, an indiv- is like an individualistic sport. We picture in Luke 5 that, uh, that Peter's out there with a fishing pole sitting on the dock, chilling by himself. No, it's actually a, a boat full of about five to ten fishermen who are involved in this massive catch that we're going to look at. And I think that's the model that Jesus gives us, the disciples, and us as the church when it comes to mission, when it comes to engaging the lost, proclaiming who Christ is and what he's done for us to people who don't know him yet. So Brad House says this. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Luke 5, 1 through 11. Missions should not be a hobby of the church. When we understand the mission of God, we realize that it is the mission that has a church. Did you guys catch that? We realize that it is the mission that has a church, not the other way around. God has a mission to call people to worship and exalt the Son through the work of the Holy Spirit. God is the sending agent, and the church is the active outworking of the mission. We are the sending agent of God for the mission of God. How cool is that? And, and that's what my, my hope is not to critique and, to, and just weigh everyone down with guilt for not sharing. My, my hope is to just inspire you and show just how awesome it is to be used by God for his purposes, to, to, to rescue people from the floodwaters of sin and death. There's nothing more exciting than that. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into Luke 5. Father, we thank you, Lord. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us from darkness, and you've brought us into marvelous light in your presence, Jesus. It's all your work. You have no rival. You have no equal. We're so humbled by, by your humility, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence today. Uh, Spirit, we pray that you would, Lord, you would, uh, where there's apathy in the church for the lost, would you replace that with love and compassion? Where there is uh, a desire for comfort and security, would you replace that desire in our hearts for, for a hunger and a thirst to know you and make you known? Father, and where, where there's laziness uh, for us, would you replace that with just diligence and a sense of urgency, knowing that the stakes are so high that this mission, there's no greater mission that we could give our lives to than to you, Jesus, and your calling in our lives. So Spirit, would you speak? Would you increase up here? Would I decrease? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, Luke 5. Here we go. We're going to go through this a verse at a time and then uh, pull out the implications. And at the end, I got a little piece on our community groups this fall cycle. So verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, him being Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. So a quick recap here. Jesus is by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, and there's this great crowd that's literally all up in his business. I mean, just, just pressing in on Jesus. And there's also fishermen by the lake. And what these fishermen are doing, they've docked their boats and they're tending to their nets. Because what they had done is, is what fishermen did back then is they, they fish all night. And these guys work hard, man. They fish all night. And then during the day, they, they tend to their nets. They, they, they fix the repairs, pull up the shells, the seaweed, all that stuff so they can get ready to work all night again. 
And so Jesus uh, sees the crowd pressing in on him, and he's not like pushing him away and said, you guys are just, get away from me. You're all in my business. What do you, have we taught you anything about personal space? No, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sees a need, and what Jesus needs there is a pulpit, a floating pulpit. So he hops into one of the boats and says, Peter, let's, let's put out from the shore. And he literally, in the boat, uh, uh, sits and, 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 and preaches the word of God to the people gathered on the shore. It's awesome. It's an awesome picture. And so quick question about the text. Where was Jesus? Okay, okay, don't, don't answer too soon. A better question is where was Jesus not? See, in Luke 4, we see Jesus was in a synagogue, right? And in Luke 5, we see Jesus was lock, walking by the lake of Galilee. See, here's my, here's my point. Where people were, that's where Jesus was. He didn't sit in the synagogue and wait for people to come to him. He went to people. So Luke 4, is in the synagogue preaching. Awesome. Amen. Then he's by the lake. He's by the crowd. Where people were, that's where Jesus was. Where Jesus was, that's where people were. And then later on in Luke 5, this very chapter, Jesus is reclining at table with tax collectors, with sinners, with prostitutes. Where people were that needed Jesus, that's where Jesus was going to be. Oh, it's beautiful. I love that. And a lot of you are, are here today in this room, and you know Jesus Christ because he chose to use someone who literally embodied incarnational ministry. As, as God took on flesh, dwelt among us, Jesus Christ humbled himself, took on the very form of a servant, and came to humanity, came to where we were. Now we adopt that mindset, and that's what I love about the ministry of young life, because that's how my wife came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's because of her young life leaders, by the way, uh, my wife, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she was, for, for the, her young life leaders at her, at her school, had like a, there's a no chance in the world this person would ever come to young life camp list. My, my, my wife and her sister were on that list. The, the, the Slater twins, they, they, whatever. So they were on that list, okay? And no way, no chance. But here's the deal. There's a beautiful piece about it is that, that someone knew the Slater twins that was a believer, that they were on a prayer list. And someone uh, knocked, a, a volunteer young life leader knocked on her door with another uh, high school student and invited her to go to camp, say, hey, someone that you don't even know has paid for you to go to camp if you want to go to camp. Sweet. She goes to camp. There's a come and see. Say, hey, come. If I hear about Jesus, she meets Jesus and her sister meets Jesus on the same night. Life's forever changed. Love Young Life. And so Mark Cruz and Juliana, they've been there on staff at Young Life and here at Hayfield, the school we meet in. So if you go to a Hayfield football game on a Friday night, a home game, guess who's going to be there? Mark Cruz and, uh, and his crew of volunteer leaders who aren't paid. And guess what they're not doing at that football game? They're not watching football. They're casting their net. See, what are the beauty of young life and incarnational ministry is they're trying to reach the farthest person uh, away from Jesus Christ. So they're going to the football game. They're trying to, to meet the student, be in the student section and, and all that jazz. And I, I, I love that because that's what Jesus did. Where people were, where lost people were, people were that needed to, to know Jesus and be near Jesus, that's where Jesus was. And, and, and wherever Jesus went, that's where he did evangelism. See, I think we have this idea that mission and evangelism in the church is, okay, now we need to get a bunch of tracts, we need a soapbox, and we need to just, no, it's as you go. As you build that relationship with those baristas, as you build that relationship with, with that, that person who cuts your hair or, or, or checks in your grocery, you know, whatever, bags your groceries, whatever, as you go. Jesus didn't, you know, need a special, he just needed a boat. He just needed somewhere to sit so he could share his faith, share, share who he was preach the word of God. That's all he needed. Same with us. It's a lifestyle. It's not an event. It's sincerity. It's just us sharing, sharing what we have 
in Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and, and when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. So here's the deal. Jesus is, is done preaching, and now Jesus wants to go fishing. And so he looks at Simon and his boat crew, and he's like, all right, here's the deal. I'm about to give you a ridiculous, ridiculous catch. See, we don't know how, how crazy this request is of Jesus Christ because we weren't fishermen 2,000 years ago. But this is the exact opposite of what you do as a fisherman. You don't fish during the day, and you certainly don't fish during the day in the deep. And so he looks at these guys who literally, their grandfather's grandfather, grandfather, fathers, passed down this trade to them. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee fishing. They know the ins and outs of, of, of fishing, right? Like they, they, they know this. And, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus, a preacher and a carpenter, is telling them how to fish. He's backseat driving in the boat. And he's saying, hey, I want you to put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And mind you, there's still a huge crowd on the shore. And all of them are probably at this point leaning in, being like, wait, what did Jesus just say? That doesn't make any sense. And, and here's the deal. I think a, a, a really quick implication of this is, is, listen, is church. Jesus Christ often calls his disciples to do things that don't make an ounce of sense to the outside world. Uh, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Not fire away on Facebook about how much you hate your enemies. Love them. Pray for them that persecute you. doesn't make an ounce of sense to the world. Oh, deny yourself. Take up your, your instrument of death, the cross, and follow me. When, when the world's saying, don't deny yourself anything. The American dream is the, the dream of comfort and security. And but Christ has called us to so much more than comfort and security. He is our He is our comfort. He is our security. And we need to let go of this illusion of comfort and security and, 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 and say yes to the call of denying ourselves and following Christ and, and leaving, leaving all that behind. Um, he calls us to do what doesn't make sense to the outside world. Doesn't make an ounce of sense. Often he calls us to do that. So the crowd's watching, and they're going to see how this is playing out. But I love Peter's response here in verse 5. And Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word... I will let down the nets. If you, read, if you have your Bible, I would just I would underline that, but at your word, highlight that, star that, at your word, that's good. And, 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 here, and, and so Peter, I love Peter, he just kind of speaks his mind. He gives his rebuttal and is like, hey, Jesus, here, by the way, in case you forgot, we're fishermen, we fish at night, we don't really do what you just said, we didn't catch a thing, we actually should be on the shore tending our nets because we need to prepare for the next catch, we shouldn't be out here right now. But at your word, Jesus, is what Peter says, at your word, I'll think about it. At your word, Jesus, me and, and my fellow boatman, we're going to go, we're going to dock the boat, and we're going to study what you just told us. We're going to get in a circle, we're going to have this thing called a community group, and we're going to really just really focus on, you know, how you said this in the Greek, the Aramaic, the original language, what that means for us. But we're going to do that safe and secure on the shore. No, no, that's not what Peter said. What Peter said is, but at your word, I'll let down my nets. I'll let down the nets. See, all Peter needed was the word of God. Didn't need an explanation. Didn't need to, to deliberate and talk about it. He, all he needed was, was this. This was Peter's logic. This doesn't make any sense at all. Doesn't make any sense. But Jesus, your Lord, you told me to do it, so I guess I got to do it, right? 
You're Lord, I'm not. I serve you. You don't serve me. You tell me to stand on my head, I'm going to stand on my head. You tell me to fish during the day in the deep, let down my nets when all these people are watching, I'm going I'm to do that. And see, my logic, I think our logic looks like this. If I was in the boat, I might have said something like this. Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make an ounce of sense. All these people are watching. Okay, just side note. Um, but you commanded it, Jesus. You said so. But quick footnote, if I obey this, it's going to cost me, Jesus. It's going to cost me my reputation as a, as a fisherman. All these people are watching. Uh, I'm going to look like a fool. And so what that, that means is that I might actually lose money because of this, because all my customers are on the shore right now. They're watching this, and they may actually say, I don't trust this fisherman to get me any fish. And it might cost me time, because I don't know how long we're going to be out here fishing and not catching anything. So you know what, Jesus, actually, I know you commanded it, but it's going to cost me our reputation, money, time, uh, stress, all that stuff. So you, so you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to steer these boats to the shore, and we're going to tend to our nets. I'm going to do what I think makes sense. And sadly, I think that describes the tragedy that is the mindset that I think summarizes um, the church in America today. Just to shoot straight with you guys. That, oh, there's a cost to following Christ. And that doesn't make any sense. So I'm not going to take the cost. I'm not going to take the hit to my reputation, to my time. Like, my money, like, yeah, like, I'm going to be a good steward of my money and invest in my kingdom. But are we going to invest in a far greater kingdom as well? My time, oh, my time is precious. What greater use of your time than serving God and sharing your faith? Reputation, why, why do we worry about our reputation? Our identity is we're in Christ. The one person who, who we need affirmation from and acceptance from and belonging is we have that fully and uh, completely in Jesus Christ. Why do we, why do we fear, fear man? We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. And sadly, that, that is our mindset. And I think for a lot of us, my hope is this morning is that uh, um, when we talk about would you rather be on the shore with the fishermen mending their nets or would you be on the boat with Jesus Christ fishing, fishing for lost souls that desperately need to, to be rescued. And my, my hope this morning is a lot of us, including myself, would, would see that it's far, far greater to take the hit, to take the cost and hop in the boat with Jesus and go fishing than it is to sit safe and secure on the shore tending to your nets for the rest of your life. There's a far greater calling we've been given as Christians, far more exciting, far greater that Jesus Christ has given us. And so that's my hope this morning. And so here's the deal. If you think fishing is boring, well, you're, maybe you're right. But if you think fishing with Jesus is boring, you're, you're not right. Gear up. Here we go. Verse six. Sorry if you fish. I love fishing, but some people think it's boring. Anyways, all right. Will's walking out. Okay, never mind. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Uh, real quick, when they had done this, when they had done this. See, we want the catch without the casting. We want the reaping without the sowing. It was after they obeyed that the blessing came last week, John 13, 17, what we looked at. Jesus Christ said, blessed are you not if you just know these things, but if you... Do them. If you do them, the blessing comes with the doing. Not the knowing how to fish, but the fishing, the casting. When they had done this, when they did the insane, the absurd, and obeyed Christ, look at the result. Oh, it's beautiful. Look, the, 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 the catching comes after the casting. We are responsible for obeying God's word, and Jesus Christ is responsible for the reward. 
for the catch. We don't change hearts. We don't, we don't convert the lost, regenerate hearts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But we're commanded to, to throw our nets. That's what these disciples did. And, and I think, I just think, man, imagine being on that boat, right? Imagine that. Like, if I was on that boat, I'd be wrestling with doubts. I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. I'd be like hiding my head in the boat as we're like, you know, throwing the net out there or whatever and just waiting. And all of a sudden, man, that, that rope gets super tight in that net. And then it gets so tight that ropes are starting to snap. And then it gets so tight that the boat's maybe like shifting a little bit. You know, I don't know how, exactly how fishing works, but I've seen the movie Jaws, so I kind of have that, that mindset. Um, and so I'm like, oh man, maybe disciple, maybe some of the fishermen are like scrambling to the other side of the boat, uh, uh, fighting over each other to balance, counterbalance the weight. And then maybe some of them are grabbing the net uh, trying to pull it up, and they're getting—I mean, their hands are getting shredded because of the the rope they're throwing. They're back out, and then they're screaming at people across the the lake to get your boats over here. This is the biggest catch you've ever seen in your life. We're about to sink unless you come over here. So then they come up, and I mean, that's the moment they've been waiting their whole lives for as fishermen, right? Like there's whole Discovery Channel shows about catching a lot of fish, catching big fish. This is that moment for them. This is the moment they've been waiting their whole lives for. Immediately, what we see is the super. Well, one we see. We see that Christ is Lord over creation. We see Jesus says, hey, go fish here. I got something for you. We see that, that he is Lord. He's sovereign over creation. And then secondly, we see the superabundance of the reward that Christ brings. So here's the deal. This, could, true or false, could the, could the disciples have gotten that catch apart from Jesus Christ being in the boat with them? Absolutely not. The highlight of this text is not how, is, is not, uh, uh, how they cast the nets, or, 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 or the, you know, how they fish or whatever, the highlight of this text is Jesus Christ. And when we obey him, the harvest that he provides in his strength and his power, that's the highlight of this text is, is King Jesus, going fishing with King Jesus, what that looks like. And we see the reward that Christ brings. And this is just a foreshadowing of how Jesus was going to use these fishermen to, to not just catch a couple souls for Jesus, but to literally, with these fishermen, change the world. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, history would tell you that Jesus and a couple of these fishermen literally changed the world and are still changing the world. Change this world, uh, a lot of uh, law worlds in, in, in this room, a lot, of, a lot of people in this room, lives are continuing to be changed because of Jesus Christ and his disciples. What they've done is just a foreshadowing. And so quick question, do you think at this moment, when, when Peter's nets are breaking and his boat's almost sinking and their hands are ripped to shreds because of the, the size of the catch, do you think the disciples, once they get to shore and, and all this stuff, do you think they're mad at Jesus? Really, Jesus? Look, my nets are breaking, man. My boat's sinking. My back hurts. Look at my hands. You know, you know how long it's going to take for these to heal? I need these to work. You think, you think they were upset about the cost? It came to follow Jesus? No, why were they not upset about the cost? Because the reward was so great. The reward was so great. They didn't even think twice about the cost. Look how amazing the reward was to obey Christ and simply cast your net. And these guys, they, they, I mean, they went through the gauntlet and they gave their lives ultimately for the sake of Christ. And we meet them on the other side of the turn. They're going to say, that wasn't a, that wasn't a cost. You want to know the reward it was to see God move and transform lives? You want to know the reward it was to, to throw that net and experience the thrill it comes of the, of the catch, fishing with Jesus? And not just fishing fish, but fishing souls? Come on now. There's, there's none of that nonsense, the church. And so when we, when we understand that, that there's a cost of obedience to Christ, but we need to understand that the reward far exceeds any, any 
any cost that we would take on this side of eternity. It just, that's just the truth of the matter. So verses 8 through 10, story continues. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. These guys weren't high-fiving each other, saying, look how awesome we are as fishermen. Look how much money we made with our skills of letting down our nets. No, they got on their face before Jesus Christ because they knew that every single fish that was in that net wasn't anything they did. It was all the work of Jesus Christ. And so Peter's reaction is kind of rude here. He immediately gets on his face and says, and recognizes two things. He recognizes that Jesus is Lord and that he's a sinner. And he's in a scary spot because the natural response of any sinner before, before in the presence of a holy and just God immediately is on their face and recognizes that they're not worthy to be in the presence of God because of their sin, because that sin causes separation. So Peter gets on his face and he says, Lord, I'm a sinner. You don't know who, I, who I've been. You don't know what I've said, what I've thought, what I've done. You have no share with me, Jesus. You got to leave. You got to depart. And the, one of the most beautiful things I think of this story is that Jesus doesn't go anywhere. Jesus stays in the boat. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. And that's the beautiful picture of the gospel. And that's what we looked at two weeks ago in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, is that Jesus Christ ushered in peace between us and God. Ushered in peace and nearness. See, Jesus wasn't going to leave because he's got in the flesh. He, he, he says, Peter, you don't even know what's about to go down on the cross. You're, you're covered, bro. You have nothing to fear. Do not be afraid. You have nothing to fear. You can have peace with me, proximity with me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. It's not up to you. Yes, I know you're a sinner. Yes, I know I'm, I'm your savior. And, and, and I'm the prince of peace. I'm ushering in peace. So it's just a beautiful picture of, of the fact that Christ doesn't go anywhere. And here's another kicker that I think we need to understand is that the prerequisite to being used by God for mighty things is a, is a, is a recognition and a confession of your inadequacy to be used by God. And so the second Peter gets on his face before the Lord and says, woe is me, a sinner. Jesus, get out, get out. And when he says, I'm a sinner, he's like, you can't use me for anything. He's saying, I'm inadequate. You're Lord, I'm not. You're, you're, I'm not worthy to know you. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. The second he does that, then the call comes. Beautiful. I mean, it's so beautiful. Because here's the deal. When you and I humble ourselves and recognize our weakness, that's, that's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of person that, that God's like, all right, giddy up, let's get to work. Because God uses the weak to shame the strong. In our weakness, he is strong. So I'm going to boast in my weakness because that's when God's going to show up in power. And so Peter recognizes his weakness and then boom, comes the call of Christ. And another side note is this, is, is these guys, these fishermen were ordinary guys like you and me. We know that they were sinners and we know that they were just, they were fishermen, hardworking guys, nothing spectacular, uh, nothing too special. And it wasn't that they were extraordinary, but it was that they were fishing with someone who was extraordinary. And uh, that leads us to verse 10 through 11. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Why did he not have to be afraid? Because Jesus was there with him. And he had nothing to fear in, in God's presence because he was covered by 
the coming work of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. I love that. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And followed him. So in the Greek, uh, that, that word catching men is actually kind of a play on words. It's catching men alive. And so what Jesus says when he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, what he's doing now is he's changed their vocation, their primary purpose in life, to catching live fish and killing them and selling them on the market, to now literally going on a rescue mission and, and catching men alive. Catching men alive. That's their new vocation. Everything they were to do was to hinge on that. And the beautiful, I think one of the beautiful things we see here is that um, they left everything and followed Jesus Christ. It wasn't, the text doesn't say, and they left some things behind and then brought some other things with Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, I'm going to bring this net with me just in case this doesn't work out. You know, and I'm going to make, hey, can we just make sure, like, we pull up this, this boat to my, my, my backyard and, you know, like, make sure, like, you know, just in case, you know, like, I just got to hedge my bets here and see if this whole thing plays out or not. No, they, they left everything to follow Jesus. Christians in America, there's a cost to following Jesus Christ. He calls you to leave some things behind. There's some things that are going to have to take priority in our lives. We're going to have to leave our reputation of being normal Americans behind. We've got to just throw that away. Why? We've got to throw, throw our, our, our needs and our desires for comfort and security. The rest of our lives, we're going to have to throw that, lay that down at the altar of Jesus Christ. He's called us to so much more than that. Called us so much more to, than the American dream. Something far more exciting than that. They left everything and, uh, and followed him. And that's the beauty is that following Jesus and becoming fishers of men goes hand in hand. That as you follow Jesus and as these disciples got closer and closer to Jesus uh, and they, they were continually seeing what he was doing in their lives and the lives of those around, him, around them, they couldn't help but not just be witnesses and not speak about what they had seen and heard. And that's the beauty of evangelism. Hopefully it's, it's sincere when we share our faith. It's just sincerity. It's just kind of over the dinner table with, with your neighbors or whoever, just kind of throwing your hands on and be like, hey, I was blind, but now I see. You know, I love that story. I believe it's John 9, John 8 or 9, but the story that the Pharisees are just giving it to this blind guy who got his sight restored from Jesus. They're interviewing his parents, and they're like, oh, are you a follower of him and all this stuff? And the blind guy's giving it back to him and like, oh, well, you know, you're, you see Mitch, are you a disciple of him? And so they're like going back and forth. And then finally, the, uh, the disciple, the, uh, the, the blind man goes, listen, here's what I know. I was once blind. I met this guy, Jesus, and now I see. He was just a witness to what Jesus had done in his life. And Christian, when we, when we go and we, and we want to share our faith, may it be sincere. May it be sincere. And so if, if, if you're in one of those, 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 those stages where you're not really experiencing the Lord or you're feeling distant or whatever, my encouragement to you would, would pray about that. Get deeper. Get closer to Christ. Because he, he, that's, that's what he does. You can't get close to fire and not get burned. You can't get close to Christ and not be changed. So before we go out, will we make sure that we're not trying to, to sell a product or something. We're just trying to share the joy we have in Christ. Um, and so my, my challenge before we conclude, I'm going to wrap up here shortly, is this is, is, man, what is holding us back? What would possibly hold us back from this calling, yes, to follow Jesus and yes, to be fishers of men? It's not either or, it's both and. And you have to ask yourself, as, as, as the Holy Spirit hopefully uh, reveals to you some of those things that are holding, are holding you back, you ask yourself, 
in, in regards to eternity and what Christ has called you to, are those things ultimately worth it? Are they worth it? The time, the money, the reputation, uh, uh, the apathy or whatever. I think there's some things that we as a church, myself included, need to repent of this morning. And where there's apathy in our lives, oh, I pray the Lord would just consume us with a sense of urgency and love and compassion for people, for the lost. Knowing that we were once lost. Knowing that we once were in darkness. And that he's given us a rescue mission, a ministry of reconciliation to go and share to people who were once in our predicament this beautiful light we've seen in Jesus. And where there's a desire for comfort and security, I pray we'd have a deeper desire to see God at work. And where there's a, a desire for uh, our reputation, I, I pray we would, have a, we, would, we would pray for a reputation that I would look like a fool for Christ. I pray that we would pray for persecution to come. Because that means that I'm sharing my faith. That means that people know I'm a Christian. And here's the deal. If we're not being challenged, if we're not being persecuted for our faith, and saying, you know, being told that you'd have to be a fool to believe in that or whatever, that means we're not, we're not maybe just being Christ to people. There's a far greater calling. So this is my vision. I'll conclude kind of with this. So I have this vision. It's a map. It's a map in Northern Virginia. Let's say it's a Google map. And on that map are all of our community groups at the transit. Little pin drops, right? The transit logo. Maybe you've seen this on the website. Okay? Now picture that map as the Sea of Galilee. Okay? So take out the grid and just put water. And then replace all those transit icons with boats. Okay, And on those boats are about five to ten fishers of men strategically placed in communities to do what? To cast their nets in the deep. That's my vision for community groups at the transit. Rescue boats in the middle of the floodwaters of Northern Virginia. And one of the most beautiful stories that I've seen come out of um, what's happening in Texas um, is... uh, this Christian, he got interviewed on some news station. It's just awesome testimony to, to uh, what Christ did in his heart. But Christian and a couple of his friends had a boat. They lived in Kentucky. And they drove until they found floodwaters, put the boat in water, and, and they started driving around and, and, and literally saving people from the floodwaters of death. Community group, about five of them, in a boat, tending to one another's needs, right? Caring for one another, praying for one another. But what was their ultimate mission? Just to hang out on the boat in the middle of the floodwaters? and hang out with each other, and face inward on that boat while people were stuck in their houses, almost drowning? No, no, they were brothers in arms looking outward with their hands, uh, 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 you know, with their nets cast, their, their hands reaching out to those who were dying in the floodwaters in Houston. How, how much more dangerous are the floodwaters in our, the neighborhoods we live in? People, we're surrounded by people who are in the floodwaters of sin and death, separated from God. There's no... There is no uh, a more dangerous predicament for them to be in, some of our, neighbor, our, our neighbors. And there's no greater joy that they can experience than, than, than coming in the boat with Jesus and experience the salvation and the new life he brings. And so that's my, my vision for uh, community groups. And I think what's beautiful about that story in Houston is I think that's a beautiful picture of what we're called to be as the church. It's a beautiful picture of what we're called to be as the church. And the reason... I think we really emphasize the discipleship. We're really good at that when it comes to community groups, like getting in the word and, and spurring one another to mature in Christ. And we're really good at uh, the pastoral care, loving one another, meeting each other's needs and everything. We're really good at that, and that's awesome. And you guys should be encouraged in that. But I think we're, we're a lot of churches, and I think we're all guilty of this, including, including me, is, is the mission piece. Is that, in, in, in a way, we're, we're on a rescue boat, but we're all facing inward, and no one's casting a net to rescue anyone. 
There's people in our neighborhoods that, that need someone to cast the net. And I just love that picture uh, of those guys. And here's the deal. There's a cost, right? These guys had to take off work. These guys had to use their own boat. These guys had to uh, use their own gas. These guys had to labor day in and day out. It was hard work. It was hard work. And I think the reason we don't emphasize that is because, listen, to be a missional community here at the transit, to be missional in our community groups, that means we're going to have to leave some things behind. That means that there's going to be a cost to our comfort. That means that we're going to be sitting across the table from people who don't think just like us. It's not going to be maybe an easy discussion at community groups. It means that we're going to have to delve deeper and ask deeper questions because when we engage in the loss, we get challenged in our faith and we have to start giving a defense for the reason of the hope that we have in Christ. See, to do this, there's going to be a cost to it. It's going to be more work. It's going to be more time. It's going to be more effort. It means means that now our neighbors are going to know cats out of the bag that we gather and we actually study scripture together. It's going to be a cost. But there's no greater reward, no greater reward than comes in being obedient and throwing our nets um, this fall cycle. And so uh, I'm going to talk about a quick application, kind of be specific, share a verse, and then pray us out. But um, here's the deal. Next week, we're meeting as community groups. And in the Lord's timing, this was the week that uh, he chose to talk about mission. We're actually going to do it last week, but I think it's awesome that this week, as you all meet in your homes, you're going to be talking about Luke 5. And what I hope that we're going to be looking at is uh, uh, how you guys can cast your nets this community group cycle. How you guys can start throwing your nets and being obedient to Christ and being fishers of men. And I think the first, the first thing that looks like is this is prayer, knowing it, it, it's a confession of our inadequacy to catch anyone. It's a humble recognition of our weakness and our need for Christ's strength. So I think it looks like, hey, pulling up some empty chairs every community group and praying over those chairs and saying, Jesus, we hunger, we hunger for the lost to be seated at this table with us. Would you give us that honor? Would the lost be found here? We're going to be praying over these seats to be filled by people that don't know you every week. Would you see what happens? Cast your net that way. I think something that we're going to try in our Vienna community group is we're going to meet for three weeks. The fourth week, we're going to have a front yard grilling and chilling and hang out. We're going to invite all the neighbors. Bonfire. Uh, there's, going to be, there's going to be alcohol there. Oh, my gosh. Some of our neighbors might be cursing. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy, right? That's scary. There's going to be a cost. We might have to play music that's not Christian so they feel comfortable. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but here's the deal. We're going to throw our net. We're going to cast our net. And here's what I'm excited about is as each community group starts casting their net, what I'm excited about is hearing the stories, listen, of, of here's the deal. You want to fast track our maturity in Jesus Christ? You want to fast track our caring for one another? Start living on mission. Start living on mission. You want to fast track your maturity? Start talking and engaging with a non-believer and realize you don't know half of what you think you know. When you're on mission for people in a rescue boat, all of a sudden you have to meet each other's needs because you need everyone in the boat pulling their weight. We don't care for one another just for the sake of caring for one another. There's a mission. There's a great mission. And this is the mission we begin in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's our identity. God has chosen us, his family, and this is the mission he's given us, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
See, Peter writing this was the same Peter in the boat. And what Peter recognizes is that there was a, a time in his life when he was, once was outside of the, the fold of God, when he once had not received mercy, but now he had received mercy. And that drove him to mission. That drove him to proclaim the excellencies of his God, who he was and what he uh, did for him. And so that's my hope for community groups this cycle. And I think I'm right out of time, so I won't share this last quote, but we'll end on that note. So uh, with that said, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you, God, for rescuing us. We thank you, God, for reconciling us. We thank you, God, for pulling us out of the darkness of the floodwaters of sin that we are in, bringing us into to your marvelous light, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come, would you convict us? Not so that we just feel guilt and shame, but would you convict to inspire us, Lord? to realize that the apathy we're worshiping, the comfort we're worshiping, the reputation we're worshiping is all, it's all meaningless in the grand scheme of things. We've been called to so much more. But Holy Spirit, we need you to enlighten our eyes, to embolden us and set a fire in our souls for the lost and give us a sense of urgency. And so Father, we pray your blessing over these community groups this week. We're nothing without you. We're not skilled fishermen, but, but we know you, Jesus. And, and, and we pray for a harvest. We pray for a catch this false cycle, Lord. Pray we be so excited about who you are and what you've done for us that we just wouldn't shut up about it. And we want to share that joy with others. So Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.